Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I feel like this could be an important show. We could be looking at it, one that will win a Peabody one day. This game of political comedy in, in the late night realm is kind of wide open. And I'm glad that we have somebody like Sam B. in there to really hit issues hard um, and, and to kind of bring a new voice and a new face to late night TV. It's exciting. I'm excited about this show. I'm glad it's on the air. Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Looking for a Netflix recommendation that's worth two hours of your time? Or a forgotten album that's worth picking up on iTunes? OverdueReview.com is your destination for unbiased, unpretentious, thoughtful opinions on movies, TV, and music from every era. OverdueReview.com. Better late. It's another fascinating and 100% free edition of the Stream Police Podcast, brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Hi, I'm Clint Davis, your chief of the Stream Police here, and I'll be talking to you about movies and TV streaming now and also in theaters. Coming up in a little bit, we'll hear from our music editor, Andy Sedlak. He'll be telling you what's piping through the earbuds this week. Thank you guys so much for listening here. Episode 24 of the Stream Police Podcast as we're just cranking on, getting close to our one-year anniversary on the show. We appreciate all the support you guys have given us and uh, all the listens. And Word of mouth is how we really uh, pick up more subscribers and more listeners. So the more people you can tell about the show, the better. And anybody you know that really, truly, I mean, loves TV, loves movies, loves music, really likes to get into what makes them great, uh, they will enjoy this show. And also people who are looking for something new to watch or listen to. I mean, though, I think they'll really dig this show. So thank you very much for tuning in. Let me go ahead and light my stogie here as I'm sitting in my uh, tiny closet in Cincinnati, Ohio. All right, it is March, and what that means is it's Women's History Month. And while women's history has not always been something that uh, the filmmaking industry, much like black history, has embraced fully, meaning that there haven't been a whole lot of female directors, a lot of female showrunners, female screenwriters, there have been more, more of those, but just not a ton of people who are really pulling the strings. Producers, even fewer. And producers, is really that, that's really who gets things done, but... Women's History Month going on, so I figured that I would talk a little bit about some of my favorite movies that are directed and or written by women and where you can see them now. Just some of the ones that especially are are streaming now for you. And, uh, you know, really, though, there are a lot more of them that aren't streaming. And I'm specifically, as I always do on the show, I'm going to talk about the ones I've seen. Um, I'm not going to 
bring up any ones that I have not seen. So anything I tell you about that I tell you I think is really good, I've seen it. I've watched it. I'm not just going off of the uh, quote-unquote reputation or like the Rotten Tomatoes score of what this movie or TV show has. Because like you guys, um, and maybe even more so, I've watched plenty of movies and television shows that had high critical scores on something like Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes, and I thought that they absolutely sucked. And I've watched even more of them that got low ratings that I thought were kick-ass. So I don't I don't go based on that. I go based on my own taste, and I hope here I've built up enough trust with you in the last year that uh, that is something you can count on here on the Stream Police podcast. Um, all right, so let, let's go ahead and start uh, Women's History Month. Some of the best movies streaming now on Netflix that were directed and written by women, directed and or written by women. Uh, I'm going to start first off by uh, picking the movie Frida. Uh, this is a biopic about Frida Kahlo, the artist, and this one was directed and written by Julie Taymor, who arguably, she might be my favorite female filmmaker of all time. I mean, honestly, she's really uh, just an an artistic uh, genius. And uh, she she made her name by directing The Lion King on Broadway, the the classic, you know, um, like reimagined version of The Lion King that you all know and you've probably seen somewhere, maybe not in New York, but somewhere since they've traveled that show all over the place, including here in my beloved Queen City. Um, she's the one that was the mastermind behind that interpretation of The Lion King. So Julie Taymor uh, wrote and directed the movie Frida, absolutely one of my favorite movies and one of my favorite biopics of all time. And that one is now on Netflix and on Amazon, actually. So couldn't recommend it more, especially if you're into art, um, you know anybody who's uh, into art, who uh, you know looks up to artists, who wants to become an artist, this is a great movie for them to watch, Frida right now on Netflix and Amazon. Um, another one right now that's on Netflix that I really enjoy a lot is Private Parts, which is the biopic about Howard Stern, the uh, great radio jock. And um, this is this movie only covers about half of his career, really, maybe even less than half, because it, it ends up in the mid-'90s where the, uh, when the film was made. It, it kind of just covers his rise in terrestrial radio up to when he got hired in uh, Los Angeles to become uh, you know, a jock there at, uh, at L.A.'s biggest rock station. So uh, Private Parts was actually, may surprise you to know, because you may not think of Howard Stern as one of the guys who uh, is a spearhead feminist or anything, but the movie was directed by a woman and it was written by a woman as well, two separate women. So, uh, and, and Private Parts is really funny and a great movie for anybody who's into the radio business and into broadcasting. It is a fantastic movie about that kind of thing. And Stern does a really nice job playing himself, and I've always liked that movie. So that one, uh, again, directed and written by women. I'm also going to recommend on Netflix now, Somewhere. This one was written and directed by Sofia Coppola, who's one of the few women in Hollywood who gets regular chances to write and direct her own films. Um, and, and she's she's more missed than hit, I feel like. But when she hits, it's absolutely outstanding. And somewhere might be my favorite movie she's ever done. I like it a little bit more than Lost in Translation. I think this, this movie is such a gem. I, I didn't. I don't hear anyone ever talk about it when it came out. I didn't hear it get a lot of love. But it's just a beautiful movie about a father and daughter. Um, and and really, it's made in that very uh, signature Sofia Coppola kind of like dissonant style. I mean, this isn't like a tearjerker or anything, father-daughter picture, uh, but it's a really good movie kind of about fame and also about, the, uh, you know, parent parenthood and how that can tie into fame. Uh, and, and people and guys, especially who don't want to grow up and maybe be dads. So Somewhere is now on Netflix, directed and written by a woman once again. Uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, co-written by a woman. This is one of my favorite movies of all time. I put it actually in my top ten 
uh, favorite movies ever. I love this film dearly. It's a, a spy picture. I think it's the best spy movie um, ever made. And it's uh, it, it's just it's a really just smart film and adapted from a, a really good novel. So uh, co-written by a woman. Right now it's on Netflix. Wayne's World directed by a woman. It's on Netflix right now, and it is definitely one of the best. Uh, one of the best comedies of its day, and certainly, I would say, the best movie based on a Saturday Night Live sketch uh, ever produced. Uh, well, I don't know. The Blues Brothers is the best one, I think, ever. But, you know, Blues Brothers wasn't so much a sketch as it was just like a musical act who performed on the show. So Wayne's World, really, in the sense of taking a sketch and making it into a movie, did that better than any other film that's tried to do that out of the SNL camp. And that one was directed by a woman. We're not worthy! And finally, Half-Baked is on Netflix right now. This is a classic stoner movie from the 90s. Dave Chappelle, this was like the first film that Dave Chappelle starred in. And, uh, you know, he, he's he's really funny in it. He plays a couple different characters in the movie. It's a weed movie. You know, it's not. it didn't win any Oscars. It got no critical acclaim. But Tamara Davis, I want to point her out because she directed Half-Baked. She also directed Cell Block 4, the Chris Rock movie, and Billy Madison, the uh, Adam Sandler movie. Maybe maybe Adam Sandler's funniest, like actual funniest movie. All three of those movies panned so heavily. Tamara Davis gets no love as a director from critics. But those three movies are all so funny, and they're like really good comedies that are actually really funny. They may not be the best acted films you've ever seen or anything like that, but they don't take themselves seriously at all. And I think Tamara Davis, I consider her uh, among uh, one of my favorite comedy directors of all time. Um, and those three movies are a good reason why. I, I, I like all three of them. They're really funny. And Half-Baked right now is on Netflix. But I just wanted to point out, these movies, these are movies that you might already like, but you didn't know they were directed by women or written by women. That's kind of what I'm trying to point out here uh, on Women's History Month. A couple of them on Amazon for you. Another one of my absolute favorite movies, uh, American Psycho. This one I've talked about before on the show, but I just wanted to say it was directed by a woman, and it was written by a woman. Two separate women uh, came together to make this uh, this great film, and it's um, it's just one of the most wild films uh, that you could ever see, and it's uh, right now on Amazon. Also, Lost in Translation, I mentioned, mentioned it before. It's fantastic. It's, it's really funny but poignant. Um, I consider it more of a drama than a comedy. Um, but, you know, this is Bill Murray's best work. I, I think the best work of his entire career. Dramatically, certainly the best work of his career. I mean, it's not he's not as funny in it as he is in Caddyshack, but I mean, this is we're talking about a real fleshed out three-dimensional guy here, not just some goofy cartoon. Uh, but Lost in Translation right now is on Amazon. It was directed and written again Sofia Coppola, a woman. And finally Selma is on Amazon now as well. You probably heard about this one last year, it was nominated for Oscars. It's the biopic of Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and it, uh, it it was directed by Ava DuVernay, who is not only a female director, but an African-American female director. So one of the absolute few who's getting to do big budget films um, on a regular basis. And uh, Selma, I didn't love it. It wasn't it didn't make my top 10 from two years ago. I thought it was a little bit, you know, self-important and a little bit boring. Um, just not that fun of a watch for me. But uh, it w- and I shouldn't say fun because you wouldn't expect this movie to be fun. It's not about fun things, but entertaining. It wasn't that entertaining. It was well acted and everything, but just it it didn't it didn't do a whole lot for me uh, as far it didn't get my juices going or anything. So, uh, but Selma right now is on Amazon, and I would certainly call it among the best movies directed by women, especially in recent years. 
All right, and a couple more I want to throw at you. I'm not going to get into all the details on these movies. Um, I know sometimes maybe I bore you by going on and on about the details of the movies, but you know that, that's really what I want to talk about on this show. But just a few more great films directed by women that are not streaming right now that you can seek out, and you may not have known these movies were directed by women. Let me start with some comedies, a couple of my favorite comedies. These were directed or written by women. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That was directed by Amy Heckerling. Jefferson was saying was, hey, you know, we left this England place because it was bogus. So if we don't get some cool rules ourselves, pronto, we'll just be bogus too. Yeah? Very close, Jeff. Big, directed by Penny Marshall. That uh, that, that, that may be Tom Hanks's uh, most iconic comedy role that he's ever had. Uh, Juno, written by Diablo Cody, who won an Oscar. She's the last woman to win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay as of, you know, to date. And uh, that is, you know, one of the funniest comedies of recent years. And again, it was written by a woman. But it's kind of sad that that was 2007. I mean, what is that, nine years ago now, eight years ago? And it's the last one to win an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay written by a woman. Little Miss Sunshine, co-directed by uh, a woman, the great Valerie Ferris. And uh, she's done some of my favorite music videos of all time. And she did Little Miss Sunshine. That is a movie I love dearly. It's so funny. It's so sweet. And it's just really, it's a perfect movie. There's nothing wrong with Little Miss Sunshine. When Harry Met Sally, written by the great Nora Ephron. And uh, Nora Ephron also, she did like You've Got Mail, Sleepless in Seattle. But When Harry Met Sally, I feel like is like, maybe the high point of the romantic comedy, and it was written by a woman, in case you didn't know. Not directed by a woman, but written by a woman. Primary Colors, very funny political movie, written by a woman, solely by a woman. The Birdcage, absolutely one of the funniest movies ever made. I I could watch that movie on repeat, endlessly. Uh, And Robin Williams and Nathan Lane are so freaking funny in that film. I mean, you you cannot not crack up at that movie. The Birdcage, that was co-written by a woman, and also the great Mike Nichols uh, co-wrote that one as well. Could you tell them I was a relative who dropped in? Val's uncle, Uncle Al. Oh, what's the point to be Val's gay Uncle Al? Oh, I could play it straight. Oh, please, look at you. Look at the way you're holding your glass. Look at your pinky. Look at your posture. What? What about you? You're obviously not a cultural whatever it is. You've never been to a museum and you eat like a pig. Albert, these people are right-wing conservatives. They don't care if you're a pig. They just care if you're a fag. Some dramas that I love that were written or directed by women. Girl Interrupted. Uh, I This is really one of my favorite movies of the 90s. And um, my wife never likes this movie. She never doesn't want, want to watch it with me ever. But I really like Girl Interrupted a lot. It's uh, just a, a, a fun cast of female characters to watch together in a very dark and dire situation of women being institutionalized like in the 1960s just for being different just for maybe being a little bit too creative um, and certainly uh, having some problems of their own but uh, you know just victims of a sexist society back then so Girl Interrupted was co-written by a woman and based on the memoir of uh, the the woman who's at the cent- the central figure of the film. Um, again, these are not streaming, but these are just some of these movies that were directed or written by women that maybe you didn't realize it that I love. I love these films. Gone Girl, written by Gillian Flynn based on her own novel. She adapted it herself and did a nice job. She made a couple of changes. I like the book and I like the movie. Not quite as much as the book, but still. Uh, the changes she made I thought worked for the film. And uh, again, this is a woman owning her own story, putting it out there and not letting the studio hire some hack to turn it into a movie and, and Hollywood it up a lot. So Gone Girl. 
written by a woman, very dark movie, and uh, a, a desolate film all the way emotionally. Boys Don't Cry. You talk about a desolate movie. This one was directed by and co-written by a woman, and that is one of those movies that will just knock you on your ass if you get a chance to watch Boys Don't Cry. Uh, Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy and the Hobbit trilogy, co-written by two women. Peter Jackson's wife and uh, another screenwriter co-wrote all six of those great films with Peter Jackson. Now, you may not consider all three of the Hobbit films great, but I consider them all good, and I consider The Desolation of Smaug as good as anything in the Lord of the Rings uh, canon. So, you know, seriously, these all six of those huge blockbuster movies co-written by women, if you didn't know that. Winter's Bone. This is a beautiful movie I've talked about before. It's not beautiful to look at, but it's a it's a great story about a young woman coming of age and uh, you know striking out on her own and trying to solve the mystery of what happened to her own father um, in like the Appalachian wilderness. So uh, this actually I think it's the Ozarks. But that was Jennifer Lawrence's breakout role. She was nominated for an Oscar for it, and this movie was directed and written by women. Winter's Bone, really good film directed and written by women. And finally, Catherine Bigelow, who may be the, you know, the female director and auteur of her time. She directed Zero Dark Thirty, a movie that I dearly love, first film I ever reviewed at OverdueReview.com. And she directed The Hurt Locker, which is the only movie at the Oscars to ever win Best Director that was directed by a woman. She's the only woman in history to ever win Best Director, Catherine Bigelow. And I think it's the only movie ever directed by a woman that won Best Picture uh, as well. So The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, when you're talking movies directed by women, you can't not mention those. No one's even talked to Bin Laden in four years. He's out of the game. He may well even be dead. He might as well be dead. But you know what you're doing? You're chasing a ghost all over. Network goes all around you. You just want me to nail some low-level mullah crackadola so you can check that box on your resume that says while you were in Pakistan, you got a real terrorist. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan, and you don't know Al-Qaeda. Either give me the team I need to follow this lead, or the other thing you're going to have on your resume is being the first station chief to be called before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. You're f***ing out of your mind. Animated films. Some of the best animated movies of all time were directed by or written by women, and you may not have known it. Shrek was co-written by a woman. Brave, co-directed and co-written by women. I love that film. Beauty and the Beast was written solely by a woman. The Lion King, co-written by women. Wreck-It Ralph, co-written by a woman. And Frozen was co-directed and written solely by Jennifer Lee, who, again, is one of those names that when you see her name on something, you know it's going to have quality. And really, she is one of the brightest directors uh, coming out in Hollywood, one of the brightest writers in animated cinema ever. So huge shout out to Jennifer Lee and the work she's got going. But yeah, those movies I just listed, I mean, that's only six of them, but I bet you like or may love all six of those films. The Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, those might be Disney's two best films they've ever done. Both of them were written by women. Amazing stuff. Documentaries. A couple for you here. There, there, there are a lot of documentaries directed by women, but I haven't seen a whole lot of them, unfortunately. Jesus Camp. This one uh, came out a couple of years ago, and it's one of those arresting and like frustrating movies when you watch it. Jesus Camp was co-directed by women. And one of my favorites, The Decline of Western Civilization, all three parts, directed by a woman. Penelope Spheris, uh, another one of those marquee names when it comes to female directors of uh, recent Hollywood memory. So, you know, women in Hollywood are still, they have it rough as far as filmmakers go. Actresses, 
you know, you can say that they don't get paid as much as the, the male actors, and that sucks. But, you know, actresses have always kind of been the real faces of Hollywood. People get excited about actresses even more than they get excited about actors most of the time. So I'm talking about the people that are pulling the strings, producers, directors, writers. Um, women are still having a rough go of it, but I think you're going to see a lot more of them coming out and directing movies on their own, writing movies on their own, not with a co attached to it. But, you know, already some of the best movies ever made and some of the most edgy and interesting films ever made have been directed by um, and, and co-directed by and written by women. So I just wanted to throw a couple titles out there in case you didn't realize those were done by women in honor of Women's History Month. Um, and some of those films right now, as I said, are streaming on Amazon and Netflix. But the ones that aren't, just go seek them out, man. Just, you know, if you if you have time, watch Boys Don't Cry um, and, and watch Juno and, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Such a such a funny movie. Zero Dark Thirty. I mean, that's just a feminist movie all the way around. And it's it's outstanding. I love that film. It's so exciting. And it's it's so smart. So, anyways, there's a, a couple of films for you um, right now that uh, you want to check out for Women's History Month. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and toss things over to my partner in crime, Andy Sedlak, where he can talk about some tunes this week. And uh, when I come back, I'll talk a little bit about a couple of shows that are on TBS and also a movie in theaters right now that I absolutely loved and I recommend 100%. Uh, but take it away, Mr. Sedlak. I like what Clint is doing for Women's History Month, so we're going to kind of keep that going here with my portion of the show. The female artist that I have gotten into most recently, it may surprise you, or not, I don't know, we don't really know each other, but it's Loretta Lynn. What'd you get me a guitar for? Because I like the way you sing. You boys stop fighting listen to me sing. That's a line from The Coal Miner's Daughter, the god-awful biopic based on Lynn's life. For a long time, I really thought of that ham-fisted portrayal by Sissy Spacek when I heard the name Loretta Lynn. I mean, not even Tommy Lee Jones could save that movie. But what do you know? It turns out that there's more to Loretta's style than a shitty two-hour Hollywood portrayal. Born on April 14th, 1932, yes, her 84th birthday is coming up, Lynn has released 58 albums. 58, the latest just released earlier this month. It's called Full Circle. Now, her debut came out in 1963. So if you do the math, that is 58 albums in 53 years. There were stretches where she released multiple albums per year. But what I really like about Loretta Lynn is really her transparency. Transparency, because you can't do country music unless you do it with warts and all. Her favorite song, her favorite song of the past 20 years is a song that she just released on the new record. That is what she has claimed in recent interviews. The song is called Wine Into Water. It was written by T. Graham Brown, and it's about alcoholism. Take a listen. Now I'm on my knees and I'm 
See what I mean about warts and all? No, she didn't write that song, but there's no doubt that she means it. One of my favorite country songs of all time about a struggling housewife that didn't quite get that domestic bliss that she naively bought into. It's called One's on the Way, again, by Loretta Lynn. But here in Topeka, the rain is a-falling. The faucet is a-dripping and the kids are a-balling. One of them a-toddling and one is a-crawling and one's on the way. It's an interesting time to be talking about women in music because the ladies are dominating pop music at the current moment. Who's had the two biggest albums of the past decade? That's easy. It's Adele's 25 with 3.3 million copies sold in one week. That was a Nielsen record and also Taylor Swift's 1989. That's the other album. Sold over a million copies in the first week of its release. The highest at the time, I looked this up, since 2002. So who's out there proving that the album format is not dead? Well, it's not the gents. It's the ladies currently the number one song on the hot 100 is by a woman it's work by rihanna she has 33 top 40 singles that is a higher number than her age which is 28 to borrow an analogy from another era that means she could release a double disc greatest hits album before the age of 30 how many artists can say that Phenomenally successful, Rihanna. Let's compare her to another pop phenomenon at the moment, Justin Bieber. He has two songs in the top 10 right now. He has 16 top 40 singles. But do you see Bieber doing uh, what Rihanna has done? Do you see him, an artist like that, putting together a string of hits like what Rihanna has done? Oh, and those totals from Rihanna do not include guest spots. That means... This song, or this, are not counted in that total. The list goes on. It's a phenomenal time, again, for female artists right now. Things are not perfect, uh, but things have come a long way. Think back to the 60s when so many women were recording under an oppressive hand. The glory was on wax, so to speak, but it wasn't always easy. That's why when I hear something by the Ronettes, there's sort of a tinge of hurt or pain underneath the surface of that song. And the things Tina Turner went through, my God. I mean, you'd, uh, you want to talk about an oppressive hand, let's talk about Ike Turner. For 16 years, Tina had endured Ike's abuse, but this time she struck back with her fists. And that frightened him, he said. This is the first time this MF have ever talked to me like this. I fought back. We fought all the way back to the hotel. God, I felt good fighting back. Did Tina cause a lot of... Uh a lot of people in America to look at you in a negative way. 
an undeserving negative way? Yeah, positivity, yeah. You know, I didn't think it was as bad as it was. Turner is one of my favorites. I uh, love Tina Turner. I love the work that she did, really particularly in the 80s. There has never been a comeback with as much attitude as Tina Turner's comeback in the 80s. My favorite song of the era, Private Dancer. And your private dancer, a dancer for money, do what you want me to do. And your private dancer, a dancer for money, any old music will do. We're celebrating female artists and their accomplishments today on the show. Count these as recommendations if you are looking for a playlist uh, to reflect the occasion, and I don't think I ever introduced myself. My name is Andy Sedlak. I am the music editor over at OverdueReview.com. So Cindy Lauper recently spoke about this topic, the topic of women and music and certain barriers that uh, have existed along the way. Her debut album came out in the early 80s. It was a smash. She's so unusual. 16 million copies sold. But Lopper had been plugging away for years. Her career dates back to the mid-70s when she formed a group called the Blue Angels, and she talks about her approach to music and how it was shaped by sexism. From a young age... Whatever a man could do, I was going to do. Because whatever civil liberties, what was good for the goose was good for the gander. In fact, some songs that she chose to record were in direct response to double standards in music. I tried to put women in a position of power, even in the most mundane things. Like I did this song, I drove all night. I only chose the song where they sent it to me. They're like, oh. And I listened and I said, you know, you know what's great about this song? I'd never heard a song with a woman singing about driving. It's always the guy's driving and the woman's like, you know, ooh, let me count you off. And everybody raced, you know, like, hey, you know. So I thought, this is, this is good because in the subtlest way, you're putting it in the head. And here is the song I drove all night. And to that extent, there are some interesting things going on in country right now. Country is one of those genres that if you like it, you will say that it's rooted in tradition. If you don't like it, you tend to think it's backwards. Uh, One of the things that's hard to deny, however, is that so many songs are about established roles for men and women. Historically, uh, this has not been a progressive genre. But women today are shaking it up. 
They really are uh, establishing a bit of a new tradition, or at least they continue to dig into and to break up the bedrock of the old tradition. I named Maddie and Tay's Girl in a Country Song one of the best songs of 2014 for OverdueReview.com. Being a girl in a country song, how in the world did it go so wrong? Like I was good for, is looking good for you and your friends on the weekend, nothing more. And then there's Casey Musgraves. I mean, Casey Musgraves, Casey Musgraves, Casey Musgraves. It really is only a matter of time. Uh, before she breaks into country radio. And I can only hope she does it with a song that is uh, one of her more relatable songs, like pageant material, a song that strips away expectations and, and sort of carries that Loretta Lynn type of transparency and vulnerability. There's certain things you're supposed to know when you're a girl who grows up in the South. I try to Brandy Clark is still trying to punch through into country radio. She's hoping uh, this song will do it. It, too, pokes and picks at expectations that some women feel have been thrust upon them. That song is called Girl Next Door. It all adds up to an interesting moment currently. And it's an artistically satisfying moment. Just speaking as a listener, truly as a listener, uh, these songs are creative. They're interesting and they have a point. People forget, quote unquote, message songs don't have to be preachy. They can be fun and interesting, and artists can count on their audience to get their message in what they mean. And I would be remiss if uh, I did not close with the masterful Darlene Love. She is now a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but keep in mind that Love recorded the song 
He's a rebel with her group, The Blossoms, in 1962. But, and this is true, producer Phil Spector credited the song to another group, The Crystals. Now, The Crystals were an established, successful pop group, Love and The Blossoms, perennial background singers. They tried to record their own songs. Those songs flopped. So imagine how you would feel if you finally recorded a hit song and it was credited to someone else and there was nothing you could do about it. It's one of the most unfair stories in the history of pop music. That is actually Darlene Love and the Blossoms. Love on lead vocals there. That is not the Crystals. And she released an album last year. Steve Van Zandt, Springsteen, Elvis Costello, they were all writing songs for her for that album. Darlene Love is a treasure. The movie, 20 Feet from Stardom, is sort of based on her career. I love Darlene Love. Now, here are five songs to add to our perfect playlist, all of them by female artists. The first is The Road by Emmy Lou Harris. So I carried on. You can't be haunted by the past. People come, people go, and nothing Next, I want to give you Push by Aretha Franklin. This was back in the 80s, and Peter Wolf also featured on this track. S&M by Rihanna. I love the strain in her vocals here. Maybe the most rock-inspired vocal of her career. Also got to recommend Cry Baby by the great, great Janis Joplin. And of course, He's a Rebel by Darlene Love and the Blossoms.
we're just scratching the surface here. But this one's for you, ladies, for Women's History Month. Talk at you in a couple weeks. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As always, much appreciated, Mr. Sedlak. Thank you very much. Let me go ahead and relight my stogie here. I get a lot of emails asking about the uh, closet and if it's safe to be smoking a stogie in here. It is not, all right? If you're a fire marshal, it's not. Plus, under future President Donald Trump, all rules about personal safety, smoking, everything else will go out the window in favor of all of us having our rights to do whatever the hell we want all the time. All right, now that's the kind of joke, At least, well, you'd, it'd be way better than that, but that's the kind of joke that you would hear on uh, the next show that I'm going to talk about here on the Stream Police podcast, a show that right now is streaming if you have on-demand content from TBS and also through your cable or satellite provider. You can watch the episodes that have aired this season. I'm talking about TBS's Full Frontal with Samantha B. It airs Monday nights at 10 o'clock, as I said, on TBS. Now, Full Frontal with Samantha B. is the latest former Daily Show correspondent to strike out on its own. That's Samantha B. You probably remember her from The Daily Show. She was on there for a good number of years, and she really is the... Uh, female that I think of most associated with The Daily Show. She's like the first one that I think of because she was on there for a lot of years. She had a lot of great segments and she just she had a really good personality for it and was you know not afraid to ask good questions and, and things like that. I always really liked Sam B a lot. She was very memorable on that show and they had a lot of lot of correspondence over the years of The Daily Show. It's hard to remember even half of them, and she's one that always sticks out to me. But she struck out on her own. She's doing a show on TBS now. It's once a week. It's not five nights a week. It's a half hour. So it's a much smaller workload than, like, The Daily Show is. But that's similar to John Oliver's show on HBO, you know, once one half hour a week. And her show is more akin to Oliver's Last Week Tonight than it is to Stephen Colbert's The Colbert Report used to be. This show is all Samantha B. She hosts the show. She presents remote reports. Um, and these remote reports can be far reaching. I mean, I'm not talking about the fake green screen crap that they always do on The Daily Show, which is funny on there, but she's not ripping that off. Her reports, she actually does travel on uh, the second episode of the show, and it's five episodes in as the time I'm talking to you, and I've seen all five of them, just to uh, for full disclosure. 
she went all the way to Jordan uh, in episode two of the show. So, I mean, she's traveling overseas doing reports. And the, the point of the Jordan visit was to kind of get to the bottom of the Syrian refugee crisis. And are these people we should be worried about? Um, and, of course, she ends up uncovering that, no, they are not people that you should be worried about at all. And the refugee crisis has been way overblown um, by people in politics and by some people in the media, <coughs> Fox News. Um, and, and so she goes to great lengths to basically prove that these are not bad people. These are not people trying to take over the world. Um, and the percentage and number of people is actually so small. And these refugees don't actually get to pick where they end up. So it's not you can't, like, plan to go to America. You are kind of tossed into a pool basically to see where you're going to go. So Sam B. does that in her second and third episodes of the show. She did this kind of long, lengthy news magazine style with comedy report on the refugee crisis. Uh, no celebrity or politician interview so far has happened on the show. So she's not like sitting down again, not like The Daily Show. She doesn't sit down at the end of the episode for 10 minutes of time filler interview with somebody that does not happen on the show. A big part of the show also is that she doesn't sit down at all. She stands up. It's part of the reason for the title, Full Frontal. She's standing the entire time in front of the camera. She does not use a desk. Um, you might have seen the promos for the show where she's smashing a desk with a sledgehammer. And really, you know, that desk is symbolic. That desk symbolizes the history of late-night TV. It symbolizes the boys' club, as it's always been, um, and the typical format of the late-night TV show that we've all become used to and kind of the lazy crap that they do on those shows. This show is not lazy. And, like, again— She's standing up. It's symbolic. She's standing right in front of the camera. She's wearing pants. She's not wearing dresses and stuff like that. I mean, this is Samantha B. This is not some, uh, you know, 20-year-old blonde model who they gave a show and had her read off a teleprompter. There's a lot of substance in this show. And Sam B. is doing a nice job uh, fronting this show, pun intended. The fact that she's standing up also gives Full Frontal the feel of like a 30-minute comedy monologue, really, with commercial breaks thrown in there. It's it's It very much feels like it's one bit that she's carrying on uh, throughout each episode of the show. The voice of the show is certainly aimed at young women. Obviously, they are trying to get young women to watch this show, um, and they're trying to get people who are serious feminists to watch this show. And through episode five of the show, only women have appeared on the show stage speaking to camera. There have been a couple men on stage, but they haven't spoken anything. They've just been kind of in the background standing there. The only people that have spoken on stage to camera have been women, Sam B. and one other staffer. Those are the only two uh, that have even spoken on the show to camera. Now, I'm not talking about in the reports, the people that they interview in the uh, remote reports. I'm talking about actually standing on the stage during the show uh, in front of the studio audience. Her show really goes after both parties. All right. But it's obviously more brutal against conservatives because of their views on women's health and on women's choices. So, you know, she's, she's really tackling a lot of this stuff head on. And she's but like I said, she's not afraid to tackle both sides. Uh, but she does go a little bit harder against the right. Interrupt. But it's but not cry. what you said in the op-ed. Breathe. Lion Ted. Breathe. I don't mean to sound sexist, but I think men are just too emotional to be president. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, so this is where we are. The party of Lincoln has completed its long journey from a house divided against itself cannot stand to you should see how huge my pocket Donald looks when I masturbate with my totally normal sized hands. <laughs> Republican voters deserved better and they know it. 
I think Sam B's doing a great job on this show. I, I sometimes wish that Full Frontal was on more than once a week, but the production values of the show are so strong that it is worth the wait. It does feel like it's worth the wait. You don't feel like you're watching a show that was thrown together at the last minute. And I like this show better than John Oliver's last week tonight so far. I know it's early on. Oliver's in his third season. He's much more established. But I like this show better. And I've seen a handful of episodes of Oliver's show because I find Samantha Bee to be much less grating and less condescending uh, than Oliver is and, and less goofy also. She's not she's not goofy like Oliver, I feel like, is. Sometimes I wonder if he is playing a character. Um, but the show... Full Frontal with Samantha B seems to be more issue-focused and forward-looking rather than what Oliver's show is, which typically is just looking backwards and criticizing things that have happened in the past. This show does seem to kind of offer solutions sometimes, um, even if those solutions are ones that uh, she feels like are pipe dreams that will never come true. I I feel like this could be an important show. We could be looking at one that will win a Peabody one day. It's always going to be compared to The Daily Show, but since Jon Stewart's exit um, and since Colbert's exit from the Colbert Report. I feel like uh, this this game of political comedy in, in the late night realm is kind of wide open. And with as wacky as this political season has been, uh, you know, I'm glad that we have somebody like Sam B in there to really hit issues hard um, and and to kind of bring a new voice and a new face to late night TV. It's exciting. I'm excited about this show. I'm glad it's on the air, and I've really enjoyed all five episodes. I have laughed out loud at least a handful of times at every single episode of Full Frontal with Sam B. It's hard, man. It's pretty hard-edged. You know, she she curses quite a bit, and uh, she does talk about a lot of things that, you know, you may not want to watch with your grandparents in the room, but it's uh, I think you'll really dig the show if you're into politics and especially if you're into political comedy. I look for Sam B. to be hosting the um, the White House Correspondents' Dinner one of these days, which would especially be funny if it were under a Trump White House. I can only imagine what she would have to say. So Full Frontal with Samantha B. is on TBS on Mondays at 10 o'clock. When asked about her super PAC, Hillary responded like a backpacker caught with an ounce of hash in her sock. You're referring to a super PAC that we don't coordinate with, that was set up to support President Obama, that has now decided they want to support me. It's not my PAC. I swear to God, I don't even... It's not mine. Some black guy handed it to me. I even... And one more TV show I wanted to talk about as I'm speaking to you. I just finished watching the first episode of this, and it's another TBS show. I promise they're not paying me here. Separation Anxiety is the next show I want to just uh, mention for you here on the Stream Police. Separation Anxiety is on TBS Tuesday nights at 10 o'clock, and it is a game show. It's a game show that brings a new premise to the word game show. And now I finally understand why they were so secretive with what the details of this show were through the entire time they were promoting it. I couldn't find any information about Separation Anxiety before it aired and before I got to watch the first episode. This is a game show that had me biting my fingernails the entire time. It was so kind of just tense to watch because you feel so helpless, as you always do when you're watching a game show, but even doubly so on this program. So what Separation Anxiety is, is it's a neat spin on like the typical couples game show, you know, like the newlywed game or uh, the dating game, any of, you know, those kind of shows that where you get the couple and, oh, how much do they know about each other? Oh, does does she know about his bad habits? And does he know about uh, her, you know, secret desires, that kind of stuff. It's like a, a neat spin on that show. 
uh, because the premise of the show is very different from anything I've seen in, in the game show round before. But it may be a little bit convoluted for some. So here's the premise of Separation Anxiety. Um, I'm sorry if it's a little bit too roundabout, but uh, it, this is exactly what happens on the show. They bring a couple in who thinks that they're going to be competing on some cheesy internet game show for a top prize of $2,500. They've got this little set. It looks like shit. It's got uh, like a, a little skeleton camera crew. It's got a host who's trying way too hard to be funny and edgy. And it's got like eight people sitting in folding chairs as a studio audience. It's very cheesy. They think that it's just little cheesy game show where they answer questions and ultimately try to win $2,500. But what's really going on is each question is actually worth 100 times more than that. So the top prize is actually $250,000. And like the first question, they think it's worth 10 bucks. It's actually worth $1,000. And so they split the couple up. One of the pair is brought into the big studio where separation anxiety actually plays out in front of a huge studio audience to watch the other person compete on that cheesy internet game show. And the one in the big studio has to pick the categories for their partner, so that's kind of where it comes into how well do you know your partner. But they cannot intervene in any other way in the game and must just sit back and watch as the other person plays for $250,000, but they think they're only playing for $2,500. So you can imagine as the show goes on, it gets very tense. I mean, the questions are kind of easy, and then, uh, you know, you're only so you win 500 bucks and you're only going your next tier is a thousand dollars and you're like oh why not it's not life-changing money i hell i'll throw it away i'll go for the thousand bucks but what they're really doing is throwing fifty thousand dollars away and going for one hundred thousand dollars little does the person in the tiny little crappy studio know um, until it's all revealed at the end and if they miss a question obviously they lose everything Whereas they think they're losing a thousand, they're actually losing a hundred thousand dollars, which they'll find out in a minute. And we get to watch the whole thing, so it's 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 tense. It's a very tense show. As I said, I bit my fingernails down very far uh, while I was watching Separation Anxiety, and it did make me anxious. I don't know how long the show's legs are going to be because it's going to be one of those shows that will only be as successful as it is unsuccessful. If you know what I'm saying, like. The more people know about this show, the less likely they're going to be able to get people who can not know the premise and the surprise will not be blown for them. So if people have already seen this show, then obviously they can't be contestants on the show because, you know, how could they if they know what's going on, if they know they're actually playing for the hundred times what they're playing for, then they're going to be more cautious and it's going to take all the fun away. The production style of separation anxiety and like the rowdy, quote unquote, atmosphere of the show and its studio audience, and they've got a little bar set up in there where it's actually playing out. All that feels very boardroom. Like it feels like what a bunch of guys in a boardroom would say was rowdy and uh, was edgy and what people really wanted to see uh, out in the crowd. But the idea of the show is interesting and the stakes are real. I do wish it was not an hour long, though. That's my biggest complaint about Separation Anxiety and basically every other game show ever. I mean, look at Jeopardy! and Wheel of Fortune. Those shows are tight. There's a reason why they've been on the air for so long. They're tight shows. You know, they can make Jeopardy! an hour long if they wanted to. Just pause and for you know five minutes before you give the answer every time and have some more close-up shots of people sweating and rubbing their chin and thinking about it and extend the music a little bit longer. But they don't do that because they want it to just be a half hour long and that's all it needs to be. You could edit down any game show ever to less than 30 minutes if you really wanted to, but of course they don't want to do that. So... Separation anxiety falls victim to that, but it is an hour long and it is a tense hour. It's just interesting to see a new take on the game show, um, I would say. And and that show right now is uh, airing on TBS at 10 o'clock on Tuesday nights. I uh, I do recommend it after watching one episode, especially if you like game shows. And if you want to watch it with your 
you know, significant other could make it even more fun to watch. So that right now, like I said, TBS Tuesday nights at 10, separation anxiety. And finally, here on the Stream Police podcast this week, I want to talk about a movie that's in theaters. It's obviously not streaming right now, but it will be before you know it. And I absolutely love this movie. It's 10 Cloverfield Lane. If you like horror, and I should say if you love horror, you got to see this movie. This is uh, really horror done very well. Uh, directed by Dan Trachtenberg, which this is his debut film. I was really impressed that this was a debut filmmaker because he seemed to be in control of absolutely every aspect of the movie. Everything we saw, everything we heard, it all seemed uh, very controlled and very tight. Screenplay by Damien Chazelle. He's the guy who wrote and directed uh, Whiplash from a couple years ago, which was a really good film that got nominated for Best Picture. Uh, also co-written, I'm sorry, by Josh Campbell and Matt Stukin, who are two guys that I am not familiar with their work before 10 Cloverfield Lane, but you know I'm going to be watching for him now. The stars of the movie, John Goodman, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and John Gallagher Jr. You probably know Johnny Gallagher from the newsroom on HBO, and also Mary Elizabeth Winstead was from one of my favorite movies of recent years, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. She played Ramona Flowers, the object of Scott Pilgrim's affections in that really underrated movie. So uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, this was tense claustrophobic horror. It reminded me like of Alien a little bit as far as we're in close quarters. We know who the enemy is. We're just wondering when and if the enemy is going to strike at us. And it's uh, a female as the uh, lead character, the protagonist that we're all kind of rooting for and and uh, and backing up. And she's ingenious. She uh, uses uh, she uses uh, her full brain power basically to get herself out of a tough situation. She's stuck down in a bunker um, at the movie's beginning. She wakes up in a bunker, chained up to a wall uh, with an IV in her arm. So you think it's going to be like a Saw kind of movie, but it's not at all. It's not like Saw. This is a PG thirteen film. It's not really gory or anything like that. The scares don't come that way. The scares don't come from shocking you. The scares come kind of the old-fashioned way, um, which is really the atmosphere and also some of the sounds that just will make you jump the hell out of your seat, as they did when I was in theaters. This movie scared the hell out of me. Um, And I really liked it because it was well acted. Also, John Goodman, this might be the best acting he's done in his career. I mean, seriously. Um, I mean, he's fantastic in Roseanne. He's amazing in The Big Lebowski. But this is a really good performance because you like this guy. You're rooting for him. But at the same time, he might be the worst person of all time if you can just understand a few more details about him. And Goodman's performance is so nuanced and just I, I really enjoyed it. He's terrifying in this movie. Um, but, yeah, so the, the girl wakes up in the in the basement She's chained up, as I said, and she's got uh, an IV in her arm. John Goodman's character comes down and tells her that he, she should be thanking him because she, he saved her life. She got in a car wreck. He pulled her body out of the wreckage and took her uh, home with him and chained her up in his basement because the world has ended outside. Since she's been knocked out, um, an alien or military attack has happened and the world's been nuked and the air outside is toxic. It's completely unbreathable. So you cannot go outside. you got to stay down here in my bunker with me. He's a survivalist. He's got tons of food, enough for a few years. He's got the running shower. He's got uh, you know, TV. He's a jukebox, all kinds of stuff. It's a very comfy little bunker. There's also another young man in there who trusts John Goodman's character who knows him and tells her that she should not be worried that she should really trust in what he's saying because this guy knows what he's talking about. Um, and, and it's just it's fascinating because you don't know who to believe the entire movie um, until, you know, basically the ending. So I really loved 10 Cloverfield Lane. I liked everything about it, except, you know, the ending did kind of throw me a little bit. But that's really where it gets its Cloverfield side. That's kind of where it ties in 
with the Cloverfield movie from 2008, the monster film. Um, but th- this movie's totally different from the original Cloverfield. And if you never saw Cloverfield, you don't have to see it to watch this one to enjoy this one. But I do recommend Cloverfield. That was a good movie on its own merits. But these two films are totally separate uh, from each other. So 10 Cloverfield Lanes now in theaters. If you really like horror, go check it out. Uh, and like I said, don't worry about a bunch of gore and don't worry about a bunch of um, – you know, a bunch of nasty stuff, a bunch of a bunch of slasher stuff that doesn't happen in this film. Uh, this is one of those PG thirteen horror movies that works really well and gets and kind of earns its scares. Like I said, there's a woman. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. As always, spread the word. Check us out on ACAST. Check us out on iTunes, um, Stitcher, a bunch of places you can check these Stream Police out. But uh, I urge you to go and, uh, and and tell your friends about the show, please. Uh, and like us on Facebook, Overdue Review, and also go to the website, OverdueReview.com. And we're on Twitter at Overdue underscore Review. I'm Clint Davis, Movies and TV Editor at OverdueReview.com. And... Uh, I want to thank my good friend Andy Sedlak, our music editor there as well. Coming up on one year. Can you believe it, friends? Appreciate you guys being with us. And uh, go check out some of the things we talked about. Send me an email, theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com, if you have any ideas of things I should be covering on the show. In future episodes, I'm going to be talking about Silicon Valley on HBO and also HBO's Game of Thrones as it gears up for Season 6. That's coming up right around the corner. Uh, As always, friends, be careful out there and stream on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.